Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Russia. I'm Damon, and this is episode 59, The Prince, part 3. Thanks for listening in. Okay, so where were we? Ah, yes, it's May 1727. Catherine I has just died after a short reign, and her successor, Peter II Alexeyevich, Peter the Great's grandson, has been immediately and almost unanimously installed as Russia's new Tsar and Emperor. And I say almost unanimously because there had been members of the Russian elite who had wanted Catherine's eldest daughter, Anna Petrovna, to be the next head of state. But the de facto ruler of Russia, Prince Alexander Danilovich Menshikov, had put pay to that by having the ringleader, Pyotr Tolstoy, indicted on trumped-up charges and exiled to the Arctic North where, a couple of years later, he unfortunately died. There was, however, a slight problem with the new regime, in that Peter was only 11 years old, and he would therefore need a degree of support and guidance to avoid the potential perils and pitfalls of a minor occupying the throne. Luckily for Peter, though, well, and Russia, and Menshikov, the prince, his daughter Maria, to whom the young Tsar was engaged, and the Supreme Privy Council, which Menshikov totally dominated, were all on hand to help the young Tsar. And in this week's episode, we'll get to see just how this support and guidance would pan out. But, as I mentioned last time out, for one of the main players, things wouldn't end up going to plan. We'll also be taking a look at a decline in St. Petersburg's fortunes and a rise in Moscow's, more shenanigans in Courland, an almost royal wedding, a royal death and a significant royal birth, 
A Prodigal's Return, Court Intrigue, and The Rise of the Dolgaruki. There's also time to squeeze in some government paralysis and harder times for the serfs. Before we start, though, I'd like to welcome the following Patreon subscribers to the Boyar Duma. Zoe Meadows and Steve Torsten. If you want to join them and get members-only episodes and a new one all about the old believers will shortly be released, early access to general release episodes and written transcripts, then you can in one of three ways. There's the podcast website, historyofrussia.net. Just click on the membership page or the Patreon logo on the homepage. Or you could go to patreon.com forward stroke history of Russia. Or there's the Patreon app. Just search for Patreon in either the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And if you're enjoying the podcast but can't quite decide at the moment if membership of the Boyar Duma is for you, then please leave a review or a rating and a five-star one, please, either via the website or Apple Podcasts. Okay, so that's the intro over and done with. Let's get things rolling by taking a peek at the early life of the new Tsar. So Peter Alexeyevich Romanov was born on the 23rd of October, 1715. He was the second child, he had an elder sister named Natalia, born to Alexei Petrovich Romanov, Peter the Great's son from his first marriage to Eudoxia, and Charlotte Christine of Brunswick-Luneburg. Unfortunately, though, ten days after his birth, his mother died of an infection, and when he was three years old, his grandfather accused his father of treason, and then had him executed. So not the best of starts, and to be honest, things wouldn't improve. Peter the Great practically ignored his grandchildren, and both Peter and Natalia were brought up in strict seclusion, well away from court, and were given just a basic rudimentary schooling. Life for young Peter got somewhat better during the reign of Catherine I. Menshikov arranged for Andrei Osterman to become Peter's governor, and he put in place a more formal education programme which included history, geography, mathematics and foreign languages. However, Peter, like his grandfather before him, was no scholar, and even though he was, by all accounts, naturally clever and quick-witted, and he liked and trusted his new governor, he preferred to spend most of his time hunting with his best mate, Ivan Dolgoruki, and visiting his 17-year-old Aunt Elizaveta, or Elizabeth, with whom he was apparently smitten. And he wasn't the only one. Elizabeth, or the Russian Venus, as she would come to be known, was widely recognised as being one of the most beautiful young women in Russia, and she received plenty of visitors and attention. Unluckily for her admirers, though, she would soon be married. Anyway, back to Peter. Now that he was the Tsar, it was recognised and acknowledged that his carefree existence couldn't continue. There would need to be a formal structure to the Tsar's life, and there was only one man for the job, Menshikov, or that's what Menshikov thought. And so, just a day after Peter had been proclaimed as Tsar, the prince took control. 
First of all, he had the young Tsar moved into his own palace in St. Petersburg, mainly to allow the prince to keep a close eye on things and keep others at a safe distance, but also so that Peter could get to know his fiancée, Maria, Menchikov's daughter, a little better. The proposed marriage would have to wait until Peter was 14, but Menchikov didn't want anything to get in the way of his master plan, which was to get either a Menshikov or a Menshikova onto the throne of Russia. So with the Tsar safely under wraps, Menshikov turned his attention to the next three items on his to-do list. And they were Anna Petrovna and her husband, Duke Charles Frederick, the Supreme Privy Council, and finally Kurland. Oh yeah, the prince had unfinished business in Kurland. So at some point late in Catherine's first reign, Menshikov had gone along with the appointment of three further members to the Supreme Privy Council, Catherine's daughters, Anna and Elizabeth, and Anna's husband, Duke Charles Frederick of holstein gottorp Well, what harm could it do? And during Catherine's reign, the answer to that was not a lot. But now, things were a little bit different. Anna was effectively the next in line to the Russian throne, Duke Charles Frederick was growing more vocal in his opinions, and Elizabeth was about to get married to the Duke's first cousin, Charles Augustus. Menshikov realised that together with their foreign husbands, the two daughters of Peter the Great just might become a force to be reckoned with, particularly if they managed to get support from other members of the Supreme Privy Council. Luckily for the prince, though, Charles Augustus conveniently died just days before his planned marriage to Elizabeth. Well, wasn't convenient to Charles, obviously, but convenient for Menshikov. And then there was another stroke of luck, because after an argument, or a series of arguments, with Menshikov about his role on the council being pared back, Duke Charles Frederick left Moscow in a huff and went back to Holstein, and Anna, who suspected that she might be pregnant, went with him. And Anna was right, because eight months later, she gave birth to a son, named Charles Peter Ulrich, who would, in time, and on paper at least, become the heir to Holstein, Sweden and Russia. Sadly, soon after the, the delivery, though, Anna became dangerously ill with an infection. And ten days later, in early March 1728, although some sources say it was May, she died. Meanwhile, back in St. Petersburg, and as soon as the Duke and his wife had left Russia, Menshikov had decided to get creative with the makeup of the Supreme Privy Council. So in the summer of 1727, the council consisted of Elizabeth Petrovna, Menshikov, who had seemingly been around forever, but was still only 53 years old, his supposed ally Osterman, who was 40, and Dmitry Golitsyn, Fyodor Apraksin, and Gavriel Golovkin, who were all in their 60s. The prince was now at the top of his game, and he could do pretty much as he pleased, but he did recognise that the council could do with some new blood, and he wanted the appearance of balance between Peter the Great's new men and the Conservatives, and so he brought into the fold 
two of the Dolgoruki family. And so, with those matters dealt with, the prince turned his attention to the north and Courland. So still smarting from the embarrassment of his first attempt to procure the province for himself, Menshikov decided on a change of tack. Rather than trying to ingratiate himself with the Courlanders, working from the bottom up, he would attempt to remove those who were in charge from the top. And those at the top were Anna Ivanovna, Ivan V's daughter, and her sometime lover, Pyotr Bestushev, who handled the vast majority of the province's administration, whilst Anna concentrated on the partying a la Catherine I. Part one of the plan was to recall Batushev to St. Petersburg and have him dismissed, but Menchikov hadn't counted on two things. One, Anna Ivanovna didn't take this line down, and she bombarded Menchikov and the council with a series of letters pleading for Bestushev to be reinstated. And then secondly, Osterman and Elizabeth persuaded Peter to intervene on Anna's behalf, not for the purpose of supporting Anna, but to scupper Menchikov's plan to grab Corlin. So was the prince's grasp beginning to slip? Well, maybe it was, because later in the summer, two events occurred, one fairly serious and the other fairly catastrophic, both of which pointed to a sea change into the prevailing atmosphere at court. First there was the expenses incident. One of Menchikov's men intercepted a courier carrying a bundle of cash who explained that the money was being sent by the Tsar to his aunt Elizabeth for her expenses. Now the prince, who normally dealt with these matters, held on to the package and made a mental note to have a word with Peter and that, he thought, was that. However, and this is one of my ominous howevers, when the young Tsar found out what had happened, he reportedly summoned Menshikov and in a rage told the prince that he, Peter, was the emperor and that he would be a bad. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Menchikov apparently was stunned. Nobody had spoken to him like this for years. Well, not since Peter the Great's time. Didn't the young Tsar know who he was? A few weeks later, Peter was a no-show at Menshikov's birthday bash. And then a few days after that, the young Tsar informed the prince that he was moving out 
and that if anyone needed him, he would be at his Aunt Elizabeth's place. The second and more catastrophic event occurred when Menchikov lost control of the one thing that none of us can ever really control, his health. In late August, the prince fell ill, and I mean really ill, this wasn't a case of man flu or a political tactical retreat. He was bedbound, and supposedly coughing up blood. And yet, with everything around him looking like it was potentially slipping away, the old dictator still couldn't, or wouldn't let go. He wrote to Peter, half demanding and half pleading that the Tsar should continue to follow his advice. Oh, and fulfil his promise to marry his daughter when the time came. Peter replied, saying that he wouldn't be marrying anyone any time soon, and when urged by the council, who were still not sure which way the wind was blowing, to tread carefully, he had another tantrum, and repeated his, but I'm the emperor shtick. So who was behind this change in political or personal direction? Was it solely the Tsar? Well, it's hard to believe that Menchikov, with his track record, could be thrown off course by an 11-year-old boy. We don't know for definite, but I'm pretty sure that it was a combination of Elizabeth Petrovna, Andrei Osterman, and even Dolgoruki, who, even if they were pushing on an open door, swayed the Tsar's mind against the prince. In September, the beleaguered Menchikov's health improved and he set about planning his reconciliation. But it was too late, and early on the morning of the 7th came the dreaded knock on the door, and in came the guards with an arrest warrant for the prince, his wife Daria, and his daughter Maria. Their punishment was, they were assured, to be in a comfortable exile somewhere to the south. But when the group reached Tver, around 300 miles southeast of St. Petersburg, Menshikov was detained, accused of spying for Sweden, of all places, and then the whole family were told that their final destination was to be the village of Beriozovo on the Ob River in Siberia. November and December 1727 were especially cold and harsh months and as the family struggled through the snow near Kazan, Daria and Maria both became ill and sadly died. Menshikov hung on for another couple of years. He would finally die in 1729, no doubt cursing the fact that ill health had been the cause of his and his family's downfall. Whereas in reality, his demise had been down to his own insatiable ambition overbearing dictatorial manner and the fact that his old friend Catherine hadn't been around to protect him and get him off the hook. So with the prince out of the way, all of those who'd been subject to his dictatorship from Anna Ivanovna up in Kurland to the Privy Council members and the Tsar and his entourage in St Petersburg breathed a collective sigh of relief. Things would be different now. The old bully was gone and the shackles were broken. They were free! And for young Peter, this newfound freedom resulted in a splurge of decisiveness and activity, albeit a temporary one. First, 
he decided to install his best mate, Ivan Dolgoruki, as court chamberlain, and then he promoted two more of Ivan's relatives to the Supreme Privy Council. But then later in that year, the great survivor of Peter the Great and Catherine I's reigns, Eudoxia Lopuchina, the Tsar's grandmother, was released from her fortress prison and returned to Moscow, where she would reside in style with her own court at the Novodevichy convent. Eudoxia was 58 years old. She had spent nearly 30 of those years in various places of confinement. Now note that it was to Moscow that she returned to live, and not St. Petersburg. And this was part of a larger movement away from the new capital and back to the old. After his coronation, which was held in Moscow in February 1728, Peter decided on a permanent move back because, well, he preferred the hunting around Moscow and B, he hated St. Petersburg and really he wasn't a big fan of anything that his grandfather did. He was determined to be the exact opposite of his grandfather. He hated the navy, and instead of being pro-European, the young Tsar was anti-European and pro-old-school Russia. Instead of dynamic change, he preferred stability, inactivity, and the old way of doing things. Oh, and of course there was the fact that his grandfather had murdered his father. And so naturally, wherever the Tsar went, his ministers, officials, friends and servants, the Russian court in effect, would follow. Moscow started to get some of its old buzz back. And St. Petersburg? Well, St. Petersburg was so last year. When he'd gotten rid of Menchikov, Peter had blithely announced that he would rule himself, but the reality was that it was the Dolgoruki family who were now pulling the strings. So, avid listeners will have noticed that up to now I've been consistent in my use of the terms Dolgoruki family or the Dolgorukis, and that's mainly because there were just so many of them. So, for some added clarity, the key players within the family were Ivan, who was Peter's best friend, and Chamberlain. Then you had Ivan's father, Alexei, and Ivan's sister, Yekaterina. Plus, there was a cousin of Alexei's named Vasily. And then finally, there was a second Vasily, who was referred to as the Marshal, well, to differentiate him from the other Vasily, and also perhaps because he was a real Marshal in the Russian army. Ivan, his dad Alexei, and both Vasilis were members of the Supreme Privy Council. Just to finish off this clarification section, the name Dolgoruki is often or sometimes replaced with the name Dolgorukov or Dolgorukova. Anyway, back to the string pulling or lack of it, because most of the time these strings of power weren't actually attached to anything, or even if they were, were solely being used to promote the family's cause. During most of 1728, a number of foreign visitors remarked upon the state of torpor and inactivity in Moscow. Peter, now 13, spent all of his time either hunting, drinking, yeah, drinking, or in the company of his Aunt Elizabeth, with whom he was said to be hopelessly in love, a state of mind which Osterman was reportedly encouraging, mainly because the Dolgorukis were trying to promote a different match 
between the Tsar and Alexei Dolgoruki's daughter, Ekaterina. The rest of the council members didn't bother turning up to council sessions, with some retreating to their estates, feigning illness. The machinery of government had fallen silent. Luckily, and as in Catherine I's reign, there were no external threats to Russia, although perhaps if there had been, the council would have at least been focused on something. And in fact, a scour through the various sources reveals only three items of any interest that took place during 1728-1729. A metallurgy works was set up in the Altai region, and in the banking stroke finance sector, there was the introduction of bills of exchange. The third item affected the serfs, because there was a further nail in their proverbial coffin when the Tsar, pressured by the Conservatives, decreed that the serfs could no longer use volunteering for military service as a way of escaping their lowly status. So many serfs decided that if they couldn't escape their status, they would attempt to escape from their landowners, and hundreds, possibly thousands, started to slip away and head either west to Poland or south towards the Cossack lands. Okay, that's where we're going to leave things for this week. Next time we'll be looking at whether the Tsar and the Council can knuckle down and get their acts together. And we'll also be seeing if Peter manages to get engaged to someone, anyone. And without spoiling anything, the answer to one of those is a yes, and to the other is a no. Anyway, until then, look after yourselves, stay safe, keep on muddling through, and I'll be back with you soon for some more History of Russia. <laughs> <laughs>